Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, and whether you want it or not, here comes the story of this week's activity in stock market around the world. Summing up today's activity, the S&P 500 fell for the seventh straight day on Friday, and the benchmark index suffered its biggest weekly drop since the 2008 global financial crisis on growing fears of you-know-what fast-spreading coronavirus, the fact that it could push the economy into recession. Although today stocks did regain some ground right at the end of the volatile session, the Dow and the Nasdaq registered their deepest weekly percentage losses since The Nasdaq managed to eke out a slight gain, one hundredths of a percent, after plunging as much as three and a half percent during the session. And after falling as much as 4.2%, more than 1,000 points, the Dow ended the day down 1.4%. But after the bell, S&P 500 e-mini futures were up about 1%, and the Invesco Trust was up one and a third percent Now, on Thursday, all three indices had confirmed corrections by finishing more than 10% below their closing record highs. Equities found some support after Fed Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said the fundamentals of the American economy remain strong, and he said the central bank would act as appropriate to provide support. But investors had spent most of the day dumping stocks for the safety of U.S. Treasuries, pushing 10-year yields to their fourth record low this week. And of course, the virus spread further on Friday with cases reported for the first time in at least six countries across four continents, battering markets, leading the World Health Organization to raise its impact risk alert to very high. Some investors voiced concerns about heading into a weekend where they could not trade on new reports about the virus. One analyst said to get an all-clear sign, the market needs evidence it's under control, no flaring up in new countries, and that we don't get a significant outbreak in the United States. He went on to say that he saw the spread of the virus in China as a prompt to reduce exposure to riskier assets and said the next milestone for further risk cuts would be a U.S. outbreak. So at the end of the day, the Dow Industrial Average down 357 points, ending at 25,409. S&P 500 down 24 points to end at 29.54. And the NASDAQ composite added less than a point to end the day, the week, and the month at 8,567. And then there's the VIX, the Volatility Index, known as Wall Street's Fear Gauge. It ended the day near its season session low, up nearly a point at 40.11 after rising as high as 49.48. 
And of the S&P's 11 major sectors, the rate-sensitive financial index weighed the most on the benchmark S&P 500, ending the day down 2.6%. The utility sector was the S&P's biggest percentage loser with a downturn of 3.3%. Real estate and consumer staples, also rate-sensitive sectors that are often seen as safe havens, fell more than 2%. Declining issues today outnumbered advancing issues by a 3.3 to 1 ratio on the NASDAQ. And then let's take a look at the global markets because news isn't much better there, but uh, here's some of the activity and the response that we heard on the global market. Coronavirus panic sent world stock markets tumbling again with an index of global stocks setting its largest weekly decline since the 2008 global financial crisis and over $5 trillion wiped from global market value this week. The stock market, as we mentioned, shaved most of the day's losses late in the session on Friday, but only the NASDAQ higher just slightly. Uh, Disruptions to international travel and supply chains, school closures, cancellations of major events have all blackened the outlook for a world economy that was already struggling with fallout from the U.S.-China trade war and hopes the epidemic first detected in China in December would be over swiftly and economic activity quickly returned to normal have really been shattered. Countries other than China now account for about three-quarters of new infections. The uncertainty hovering over the markets will only be alleviated when there is a sense that the worst is almost over. The over $5 trillion lost in market capitalization globally this week is roughly the equivalent to Japan's yearly gross domestic product. And it is the third largest GDP in the world. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said the central bank will act as appropriate to provide support to the U.S. economy. Expectations the Fed might cut interest rates to cushion the blow are rising in money markets, and Powell's remarks reinforced that sentiment. The European Central Bank historically lags the Fed, but it is now seen cutting by another 10 basis points by June. And the dollar index down about a third of a percent. The benchmark 10-year notes last rose 112 and 30 seconds in price in yield, and uh, even gold dropped today, uh, down 3.5% to end the week at $1,584.74 an ounce. So wherever you look, you're seeing the word coronavirus, and you're seeing its impact on the world economy. So uh, one other commodity to look at, crude oil. Crude oil output fell to 12.78 million barrels per day in December, 
And that's according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration in its monthly report today. So, what about the week ahead? Well, on Monday, the OECD is expected to estimate the coronavirus outbreak's impact on global growth when it uh, is forecast for major economies. The International Monetary Fund Managing Director uh, this week said the fast-spreading virus will hit global economic growth. That will result in IMF, the International Monetary Fund, slashing growth forecast. And uh, as far as the rest of the week is concerned, well, here's what's happening. We pretty much out of the earnings report season. But Target Corporation expected to release fourth quarter earnings on Tuesday after reporting disappointing holiday season sales. Despite heavy investments in its online business, the retailers' investors will focus on the company's 2020 forecast for signs of its business returning to expected growth levels. The Commerce Department on Thursday expected to release data on factory goods orders for January. That's expected to have dropped two-tenths of a percent compared with a 1.8% drop in the previous month. The department will also release trade deficit data on Friday, and that will come on uh, the end of the week. Wednesday, the ADP National Employment Report expected to show private payrolls in February declined to 170,000 from 291,000 in January. The Labor Department expected to release non-farm payrolls data for February on Friday, and that's expected to have declined to 175,000 from 225,000 jobs the previous month. Jobless rate likely to have lowered to remain unchanged at 3.6 in February. And then, of course, on Thursday, the Labor Department will release initial claims for state unemployment benefits for the week ended February 29. Other activity to watch next week. Well, again, Federal Reserve governors will be on the speaking circuit, appearing on programs at several events next week. Abercrombie and Fitch expected to report a decline in fourth quarter profit on Wednesday, hurt by a sluggish holiday season for brick and mortar retailers. And investors will be on the lookout for any forecast the company has on the earnings impact from. You guessed it, the coronavirus outbreak. Separately, Coles Corporation, Urban Outfitters, and Nordstrom are scheduled to report fourth quarter earnings on Tuesday. And Dollar Tree expected to show an increase in fourth quarter comparable store sales on Wednesday, helped by its private label brands, frozen food section, and modified stores. Family Dollar, the other chain in that category, uh, will also keep an eye on uh, the full-year forecast and the performance of Family Dollar. Meanwhile, American Eagle Outfitters also expected to report fourth-quarter earnings on the same day. 
So a lot going on next week, and uh, let's take a look at some other stories that did make news in the market late in the week. As a matter of fact, today General Motors said it will add 1,200 jobs at its plants in Michigan to meet the demand of SUVs. It will add more than 1,200 jobs. The plants will add about 800 employees for production of the Chevrolet Traverse and the Buick Enclave SUVs, and about 400 employees will support the launch of the new Cadillac CT4 and the CT5 sedans. Passenger cars, not so much anymore. Pretty much fallen out of favor with buyers and automakers have focused on selling larger SUVs that are more profitable. General Motors, incidentally, has invested more than a billion dollars in its Lansing plants since 2015. The other section of the economy that's hit uh, hard is United Airlines and other airlines. United Airlines today said it was canceling flights to Tokyo, Osaka, Singapore, and Seoul on fears of a coronavirus pandemic. The Chicago-based airline also said it was extending the suspension of U.S. flights to mainland China and Hong Kong through April 30th. One other company made some news this week. Shares of Beyond Meat fell nearly 13% today after it failed to make a profit in the fourth quarter, despite the fact it tripled sales. Beyond Meat, which surged nearly tenfold in value in the months after its stock market last May, has since partnered with numerous retail chains and restaurants, including McDonald's, helping the company more than triple its revenue in 2019. But with rival plant-based meat producers, from Impossible Foods to Kellogg to Nestle, all vying for shelf space at retailers and deals with food service outlets, Analysts say the company is at risk of losing its first mover advantage. Thursday's quarterly report showed a one cent per share loss for the quarter versus expectations of a one cent profit due to higher restructuring and some administrative costs. But from a peak of just under $240 last July, shares of Beyond Meats have now fallen back below $100 and still look expensive on a traditional valuation business. Well, we're going to take a look at markets as Max Armstrong chimes in with his guest here on The Markets. Orion here, and if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 312-206-1864. Check out flora.com. 
Matt Bennett, agmarket.net, joining us this weekend as we caught him at Commodity Classic in San Antonio, Texas. A week where there continues to be more tumultuous news coming out about the coronavirus. And it's had a profound uh, impact, uh, bringing a lot of volatility to the markets. And uh, we're not over that yet, are we, Matt? No, we're not even close to being over that. It's it's a frustrating situation. You know, here a couple of times it's looked like these cases have leveled off just a little bit. And then you find out that, oh, we're, we're actually counting our numbers a little bit differently than what we originally said. And then, you know, you find out that South Korea, you've got some uh, uh, problems there. Of course, Italy, the same thing. And now you're, uh, the sur- people are surmising that you're going to get a major issue here in the U.S. And I, I sure hope that doesn't happen. But whenever you have something like this occur, containing it is next to impossible, as you know. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, global panic about demand destruction. Uh, it's very frustrating. Until we really get a handle on it, I think that your mark's going to be very uneasy. We always try to look for some kind of an analogous situation. There really isn't one for this, is there? Not really. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of guys just kind of post uh, some of these different things that's happened, whether it's SARS, you name it. And, and unfortunately, what's happened is a lot of these uh, acted similarly up in here, up until the last week or so. And then all of a sudden you're seeing this, uh, this uh, situation with coronavirus uh, spike as far as how many infections we've seen. It, I mean, it, it's scary. I mean, I, there's no way really to uh, to explain it other than to say it's scary. And I think that as long as we don't have a whole lot of certainty about it, uh, it it's going to be a tough issue. And let's say that it ends up worse than what we thought it was, um, but then we finally get a handle on it. Once that day comes, things will change. Well, we uh, know the economy in China isn't growing uh, the way it was. Uh, certainly, they are slowing because of this. What's happening to ours domestically? Is it your sense that our economy, too, will slow? Well, it, our economy is going to slow if we have to deal with that. And our economy hasn't been... Uh, it depends on what what you want to look at. Obviously, unemployment's low. You know, there's uh, the stock market actually had done really well up until this week. And that's one thing I was concerned about is a lot of folks walking around San Antonio that's been beaten up pretty hard this week, whether you're talking about what's in your grain bin or what's in your 401k. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I don't think that that's going to be something that's going to improve dramatically until we really feel confident that we're not going to have an issue here in the U.S. Because uh, that's the last thing the global economy needs at this stage of the game is for the U.S. to have the same type of issues uh, that China's had as far as coronavirus is concerned. I got to think that we would be in better shape to handle this situation than maybe what they were. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't know enough about it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. As we take a look at uh, interest rates, uh, we're wondering what direction might be taken there. The Fed, I think, had planned on not doing anything, but they meet again 20 days from now. The Open Market Committee does, and who knows? Uh, they may be... Uh, anticipating a, a reduction there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, that wouldn't be necessarily unfriendly to growers, would it, from the standpoint of the opportunity to, to manage that risk of their operations? Right. You know, I think that, uh, you know, whenever I was on the uh, stage this morning for the early riser session, I just said, you know, uh, given the fact that our inflation-adjusted debt is as high as it's been since the mid-80s, mid to early, early to mid-80s, uh, thank God for low interest rates. And I probably had as many head shaking on that as anything. And we all know that. Uh, you know, we can't afford for interest rates to go up much, but absolutely I would expect that the Fed, if they do anything, they're going to cut rates a little bit. I don't know that the farmer's going to feel it a whole lot with a quarter, you know. I mean, most of your local banks probably aren't even going to adjust anything, but the bottom line is at least they're not going up. The strength of the dollar has been problematic. Uh, that continues to be the case, doesn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, whenever you see the the relationship from the real to the dollar continue to make all-time lows here lately, uh, that's a tough thing. I mean, you talked with the Brazilian growers at the Farm Futures Conference, and I mean, what we're dealing against 
I mean, our competitors, uh, if you will. And yeah, we're all farmers, but those guys are making a heck of a lot higher profit margins than what we are. And a big reason for that is because there's such good global demand for their product because it's cheaper on the world market. It's been selling like hotcakes. And as you continue to watch what they're doing down there, it seems like their leadership in Brazil is getting their, their act together. They're encouraging an investment of the country. Uh, they're going to just continue to grow and grow their grain production, are they not? Absolutely. And I think that that's where their uh, their country is kind of uh, trying to center uh, what, they're, what their focus is on. You know, I mean, it reminds me of talks about land-grant universities back in the day. That was their focus, you know, was, was, was agriculture, a lot of those land-grant universities. Well, Brazil looks to me like it's, a, it's kind of a land-grant situation where farming, they know farming is what they've got. That's kind of the trump card uh, for their country, and they're going to exploit that as much as possible, as they should. As you look ahead toward your planting season that'll be coming up, hopefully not too many weeks down the road. That's a little bit of a moving target, to be sure. We have a lot of saturated soils over the Corn Belt. Your farm is probably one of those, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, every tile's running full. Uh, we had more rain again this week. Uh, we can't really stand a whole lot more rain. I mean, in fact, you know, there's been a lot of dirt move this year, unfortunately, uh, you know, especially in areas where guys aren't using cover crops and things like that. But, uh, you know, right now, you've got to ask yourself, uh, is this going to be just like last year? What are we looking at? Uh, my personal opinion is you could have the exact same type of weather as last year, and you're not going to get the rally that you had last year with all the other things we've got going on. Uh, but as far as your uh, planning situations go, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's a little bit concerning. One thing that we've got going for us, we got more work done last fall than what we did last, uh, uh, the previous fall, fortunately. That's a really good thing. But I am concerned if we get in here and we start heating up with these overly saturated soils. I mean, I'm worried about, you know, guys having some nitrogen loss. I think most guys are using inhibitors, but still, uh, the propensity to lose some nitrogen is going to be there again. Speaking of uh, tempering rallies a little bit, you know, we still managed to get tremendous crops last year. After all of the hand-wringing that took place during the planting season... Is that emotion going to be gone from the market this year if, if we get the weather delays? Is the market going to sit there and say, wait a minute, we've seen this movie before? Or will there be indeed some emotional reaction in the prices? Well, I do think that you could get some sort of a reaction, but you've got to ask yourself from what levels are you going to be rallying from? So last year, your low uh, right before the market took off like gangbusters was uh, around 373. Uh, right now, we're banging on that door, you know, and we're not even close to uh, the time frame that we actually. Uh, had done that, which was right there in early April, whenever the market started to try to finally get a handle on just how bad this planting season might be. To me, given the demand situation that we're in, given the fact the USDA still has a 168 printed, uh, I mean, I've got to think that the trade's going to kind of ho-hum and yawn and say, you know what, we can maybe run this thing to four and a quarter or 430, but getting to 470, that would be a tough thing to do. Even if we got to four and a quarter, I think it'd be an absolute gift. And I think uh, us as producers need to be ready for that. And now, obviously, you, you you have to figure out what kind of production potential do you have. Uh, I don't want to get overly zealous there, but I at least want to manage some of that price risk because that can go away from you really quickly. Your farm is in Shelby County, Illinois. That puts you, what, about 180 miles south of Chicago, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, getting to Chicago for us, we can get to downtown in about three hours. My wife's driving two and a half, though. <laughs> <laughs> Out on the uh, super slab. Man, yeah. We may be seeing the uh, speed limits raised in Illinois. You never know. From the standpoint of farmer attitudes this winter, you've been in a lot of meetings. What's your 
sense of that, Matt? I would say the farmer is more concerned than what I've seen him in a long time. You know, I mean, typically we try to have some fun whenever I go out and present, especially whenever times are tough like this. you got to be able to poke some fun at yourself, but we also have to have some very tough conversations because, you know, what I've been trying to tell producers is that just because uh, we don't want to talk about a situation doesn't mean it's not there. And I mean, it's we have to be super cautious about what our ratios look like. Uh, you know, if we can do something on off-farm income, if we can share some equipment with a neighbor, if there's ways that we can cut costs without cutting yield potential, we need to be looking at those. I think we're all a little bit equipment heavy. Whenever I talk to those guys in Brazil, that's one thing that they kept telling me. Well, it seems like you guys got so much equipment up here, you know, for, for the acreage for your the farm. Acreage, for the acreage yeah. your farm. We, we have to be very con- conscious about those things because moving forward, to be competitive, I think we're going to have to be a little more efficient than what we've been. Good to visit with you, Matt. Thanks for taking the time. Matt Bennett, agmarket.net. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. The CME Group said Thursday that it plans to increase the daily trading limits for its lean hog futures in April and then adjust them annually because of the heightened volatility linked to the outbreak of that African swine fever disease in China. The spread of African swine fever in China, the world's biggest pork producer and consumer, has fueled swings in futures prices by raising expectations for increased Chinese demand for U.S. pork. Uncertainty persists about the size and the timing of the sales after Beijing agreed to buy more U.S. agricultural goods as part of that Phase 1 trade agreement signed in January. And again, today, officials and the Chinese government said they may be affected a little bit by coronavirus, but they still think they can meet the commitments they made in that uh, phase one trade agreement. Uh, Hog futures incidentally settled at their daily price limit 31 times, or 14% in 2019. This year, the market settled at its daily limit on four days as of February 7th, And the CMA group wants to avoid too many settlements at the daily limit because they inhibit price discovery and prevent traders from executing orders. So that effect will take place uh, in the month of April. Looking at the grain market uh, trade today, we saw the corn futures slumping to new contract lows, and wheat fell to a a three-and-a-half-month low with a seventh daily drop in eight trading sessions. Soybeans also retreated, reversing the course after uh, three days of gains as equities and energy markets extended their steep sell-off. So at the end of the trading session, we saw the March wheat contract down just half a penny, $5.29 a bushel. March corn up two cents at 367 and a quarter cents, and March soybeans down a penny and three quarters, and it'll start trading at $8.87 and a quarter cents a bushel. Livestock prices, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, live cattle futures extended a steep sell-off on growing worries about, you guessed it, coronavirus denting global economic growth and cutting demand for beef. The April live cattle contract fell by as much as the $3 limit today. 
But at the close, let's take a look. April and June, live cattle down the $3 daily limit. And the March feeder cattle contract down $1.87 a hundred weight. And so uh, cattle will start Monday at $107.47 a hundred weight, while hogs will start at $77.22 a hundred weight. Some good news for biofuel producers this week from the Department of Agriculture. Uh, They're one of the largest automobile owners in the federal government. And uh, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue said that as they change automobiles, whether by sale or by trade, they'll be turning to using more biofuel including E85 in their gas tanks, and uh, that order coming from the Secretary of Agriculture at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, This week, the Secretary was in the city of San Antonio. Boy, that's the second time that uh, farm groups have gone to San Antonio, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association there earlier this year. And now the Commodity Classic was there. Max Armstrong, of course, as you heard earlier, was also there to report on goings-on there and the appearance by the Secretary of Agriculture. So as we look ahead to next week on the calendar, uh, it's going to be more quiet than it was this week. And right now we're starting to watch weather. Story out of Saskatchewan, Canada, that there are 2 million acres of unharvested crops from 2019 in the province of Saskatchewan. And that means they'll be starting harvest of the 2019 crop probably as soon as the fields dry out. Well, that's our time. Our thanks to you for joining us here, and Max and I will look forward to your company next week on The Markets. <laughs>